0: Every nation, every tongue, every ethnicity, if I say that correct, every creed, you have believers that have partaken of the living Christ all over the world. I was looking at a um, article, I think it may have been on Facebook, could have been on the news, I can't remember now, in one of the countries who have been... Particular of another religion that they are being saved and coming to Christ in hundreds and thousands. So the kingdom of God is advancing. It's advancing. You know there's a scripture uh, I don't have in front of me. It says the knowledge of the glory of the Lord shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. process Cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Fill it all up. And what's so powerful in that, Jesus spoke of the kingdom in the parables, and he says, like a mustard seed, it's the tiniest of all seeds. But that tiny seed gets planted in your heart, and in your heart is everything but the kingdom of God. You know that? When he gets planted in you, in your heart is everything but the kingdom of God. And, And a lot of times we don't see this. We wrestle around in our heart with the kingdom of God, because that seed is planted in you. And that seed that was planted in you begins to grow. You begin to water it. You begin to come and 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 uh, and it begins to be cultivated, and it begins to grow. Well, anyway, in, the Lord was dealing with me this morning, and we're going we're going to get in a moment back into the uh, brass feet of Jesus. But in a mo- uh, just for a moment, I'm going to take a little liberty with you. The Lord was dealing with me with something this morning, and this is just how the Lord deals with me. What what I told Anita, I said, what we have to find is what your secret place is with the Lord. I mean, how the Lord deals with me doesn't necessarily mean that's how he will deal with you. Because you, you have to find that relationship with God. And so to speak... Your your secret place or your place with God for God to deal with you as He will. But He was dealing with me this morning with the Garden of Eden. And I and I'm just going to read you some things I wrote and make some comments. But He's dealing with me about the Garden of Eden. And, and the one thing you know in your Bible it says of the Garden of Eden it said God planted a garden. I believe it says eastward in Eden. And he put the man in the garden. So the man wasn't in the garden. He put the man in the garden, if I remember right, and you can go back and see if I'm telling you right, all right? You should do that. That he had planted. So he planted the garden, and he put the man in the garden. He told the man to keep the garden. So, so that in that garden, the, the Bible talks about the provision of the Lord, that the water would come up and water that garden. You know the dew of the of the earth would just I believe rise up, so God's provision was there God was was providing for the man fully in the garden, and of course, you know what happened in the garden adam was uh, Adam fell, Eve was tempted, and Adam fell, and so on and so forth and then later God planted another garden called the children of Israel. if we can hear it, God had another garden he said he called them his vine, his vineyard. In the book of Isaiah, and even in places in the Old Testament, He referenced that Israel was likened to the Garden of Eden. And what, and what did God do with Israel that He provided for them? Again, He showed His provision. So what I kept seeing in this garden is the provision of the Lord. That over and over was God providing. And one of the things you, you can see in Israel is God provided for them shoes. That didn't wear out. He provided their needs. needs. He gave them manna from heaven. They, they just had to go pick it up. He walked outside and, and just... Uh, uh, and, I, and I love Brother Lynn Howes. He said it was like uh, donuts. You know, in his, in his uh, mind, he says, like you go outside and there's the pastries laying on the ground. Now, Brother Len is, is a character. So he saw it like donuts, but out there on the ground... Is your provision. Just go get it. God provided it. Just go get it. So, so there in Israel was a people that God was completely providing for. He was their God and they were his people. That's what he said. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. So he had a, a people of his pasture of his land. And then I heard the Lord speaking in me and he said, "Well, before I say this, Israel, much like Adam, had to keep what God had done. They had to keep it. They were told to keep His Word, right? They were to keep what God had given them, and in keeping what God had given them, it was going to produce much fruit. Now, I heard the Lord speaking in me, I am the true vine. See, in all that God had did back there in the Garden of Eden, in all that God said in Israel, here Jesus comes on the scene and He says, Hey, I'm the true vine. I'm the true planting of the Lord. All that that garden represented was speaking of Me. You know, Jesus said that in one place. He says, Search the Scripture. He tells the Jews. He says, Search the Scripture. In them you think you have life. But these are they that testify of who? Of me. So when I read the Garden of Eden, is this something that automatically or, or, or somewhere in this, I begin to see Jesus. I begin to see even that garden was speaking of Him. That He comes on the scene and He's the true planting of the Lord. I am the true vine. Every other vine was only a symbol of me, in other words. Every other planting was only the symbol of Him. He's the true vine. And you know, when He rose from the dead and Mary uh, went there to see Him, or went there to the tomb, she didn't go there to see Him. She went to the tomb. What did she say? She thought He was the gardener. Is it something that she thought He was the gardener? Just think of this. She thought He was the gardener. So she didn't recognize Him as Jesus. She thought He was the gardener. And in fact, He was the gardener. See, and then you, you read the story of his blood dropped, uh, you know, in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Have you ever thought about that? In the Garden of Gethsemane, his blood spills in a garden. His sweat becomes blood, uh, you, you know, and he, he, speaking of purchasing and redeeming a field for planting. He's redeemed, his blood is a redemption. It purchased. And and, you know, and and Jesus tells the thief on the cross, Today you shall be with me in paradise or in Eden, in my planting. (laughs) See, 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 part of the garden is the planting. And the Apostle Paul writes to the believers in Romans and says, You are planted together with Him in His death. Glory to God, that like as Christ rose from the dead, even so you will walk in newness of life. So we're planted in His death to come forth in His life. And and Apostle Paul uh, declares that we are God's husbandry. We are God's planting. We are God's field. and And he said that he and Apollos were laborers together in the field of God, and you and you go all the way back to the garden, and now now you find a field of God as a people in which the seed of God is planted in to be cultivated to produce fruit of the Spirit of God. It's pretty powerful, but that's you know we look we look back there at Adam in the garden. And 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 we miss what we have in Christ. What we have in Christ is the planting of God in our hearts, in our minds, to produce within us what God is. Exactly what God is to produce in us. And that to me is salvation. That is glorious salvation. That's, that's what He's after to bring us into is the reality of his salvation the reality of his presence and that's what we've come to glory to god you could take that and we could stop right there and just chew on that and think on it and consider it and you know spend some time looking at it just just you know think think on what god is saying what he's speaking the, the Lord is speaking so in me uh, uh, in this brazen altar, brazen, you know, Jesus' feet is brass, and and we've read it for a few weeks, so, so I, I don't know if I'll read the whole thing, but you can read Revelation 1, and it wouldn't matter if we read it every day. We could read Revelation chapter 1 every day for eons, and it would be fine. And I'm sure you'd see a little bit more in Revelation chapter 1 tomorrow than you did today and so on and so forth. But when he looked at him in the midst of candlesticks, he said he sees one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down the foot and girded about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, kind of like Sister Sherwood's. Amen. And his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet likened to fine brass as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice was the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp 2 edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shines in his strength. What a countenance. So these feet of brass just speak so much to me. And, and you know, the brazen altar is, is in the Old Testament. And that altar is the foundation point of entrance into the kingdom. In fact, or into the temple, in fact, that's as far as the Israelites could go unless they were priests. Do you know that? They would come into the gate. I mentioned this Maybe last week or one of the weeks, I will enter his courts with thanksgiving in my mouth. And, we, and sometimes we sing that song and, and, and you, you know, we don't consider that the writer of that song had entered the courts of God. He had entered the court of God, the court of the tabernacle, the court of the temple. And he says, I I will enter his courts with thanksgiving in my mouth, right? I will enter his courts with praise. So he comes in there, and what he's faced with is an altar of sacrifice. That's as far as he goes, surely. Unless he's part of the Levitical priesthood, he doesn't go any further. He's not allowed. He stops right there at that altar... And that altar, the power of that altar is it goes all the way through that house. You know the priests take the blood of that altar and they go all the way through that house. And they apply that blood from that brazen altar all the way through the house. And just some some things to look at in that altar. It was the highest piece of furniture of all the pieces of furniture in the temple. So it was... Higher than all the others. It was lifted up above the others. It had four horns. And the horns uh, in the Bible, you, 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 you read over these little things, you read why four horns? Why couldn't he just have two? Right? He could have strapped it down with two horns, couldn't he? Because the horns, you, you, you hear, has anyone ever heard the Scripture, bind the sacrifice with praise? Bind the the sacrifice. So the sacrifice was bound to the horns of the altar. You know that? So those horns were the strength and the power. That's what they were speaking of, were strength and power of the altar. Think with me for a minute. When, When David was anointed king, what was he anointed with? A horn of oil. You ever thought of that? When they called a solemn assembly in the the book of Joel, it says, blow you the trumpet in Zion. It speaks of calling a solemn assembly. What were they blowing the trumpet up? A trumpet of a ram's horn. When the walls of Jericho fell down, what was blown? The trumpet of a ram's horn. And see if we can hear what that is speaking. The voice of the death of a lamb. You know what a ram is? A ram is a male lamb. So, so here that voice that was speaking, that tore down the walls of Jericho was symbolic of his death. See, everything here in this, in this picture of this brass altar is speaking of Jesus Christ, of the strength and the power of him. The four. The four uh, horns. The, the strength of the four horns. Israel would, would camp around that temple in what? In groups of four. You read it in your Bible. They were in a group of four. Why four? Why couldn't there have been three? Because <laughs> four represented the whole earth. Four winds of the earth. The four corners of the world. The four represent... What that's speaking of is the power of this sacrifice was going out to the whole world. That's what it's speaking of. It's speaking. So it's symbolizing. It's symbolizing what's coming. And again, i I repeat it again. Search the Scripture. In them you think you have life, but they testify of me. So what that Scripture... See, that's the Scripture. Exodus is the Scripture. Leviticus... It's the Scripture. They're, they were testifying of Him. So for all that time that that Israel was keeping the, the feasts of the Lord and they were keeping the offerings the whole time, they're testifying of the Lord Jesus. The whole time. It's speaking of Him. And, and, and when we go back and see it, we see the power of His cross. What it what it begins to do is bring us into view of the power of His cross. The power of Him. What His blood says. You spend a lifetime just on the altar. Looking at what He's done, what He's completed. And and how that applies to you. Because that's who it applies to. It applies, of course, to Him, to His work, to His satisfying the requirements of the Lord, that He satisfied all the requirements of God. He satisfied all the requirements of the Old Testament. But He did that toward you. So so God is speaking toward a people in the person of Jesus Christ. His work is speaking. The work He did is speaking toward you. The whole work. And it's it's as we embrace this. We embrace what He's done. Glory to God. We turn our heart and embrace what He's done. Hear what He's done. Give ourselves to, to understand it. To know it. And see the life that it produces in you. It'll produce. That, that's, the, that's the thing. And, and, and I'm going to move on in some Scripture this morning. But that's the thing with the with the Word of God. When it, when it begins to speak in you, man, it'll produce life. It'll produce security. Wholeness. Make you feel good. I'm telling you. You get involved with the Word of God, and you, 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 you know, it's like an ointment. You know, it's described as an ointment, the Word of God. So you get in the Word of God, and it just begins to flow. His life begins to flow out of it. And you begin to encounter His life. You begin to encounter Him. It will change your countenance. You can start in the Word of God and you can be humdrum. You can be down in the dumps. Whatever. You can have all kinds of baggage and you can start there. And that Word of God will begin to speak in you and flow in you. And and before you know it, the whole countenance of you will change by getting in the Word of God. Just giving yourself to the Word. Searching it to see Jesus. Seeing the Lord. Glory to God, and and you you know when something as simple as he covered that altar in brass was speaking of Jesus. That that simplicity of that to go back there and see that whole thing spoke of Him, all of it. Everything God did there spoke of Him. You know what that that the way that tabernacle was built. See thou built you build it, Moses, according. To the pattern that I have shown you. So the whole building was the pattern from the Lord. So every utensil. Every piece of furniture. Was coming out of God. You ever thought of that? Everything they did was coming right out of the mouth of God. Every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. There is life. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. See, see that word that came out of God to Moses was speaking of the word who is Christ. That's what John declares him to be. The word of God. Not just a word, but the word of God. That's what every article of furniture, every article of brass was speaking of was the Lord Jesus Christ. Glory to God. So, so I, I begin to look at brass and so what's the big deal with brass? Why is it brass? In, in Deuteronomy 28, for example, flip there, 28, 22 through 25. Deuteronomy 28, 22 through 25. He says here, Jehovah will smite thee with consumption and with fever and with inflammation and with fiery heat and with sword and with blasting and with mildew and they shall pursue thee until thou thou perish. And thy heaven that is over thy head shall be brass and the earth that is under thee shall be iron Jehovah will make the rain of thy land powder and dust. (laughs) That would be some good rain, wouldn't it? Powder and dust, the rain of the land. From heaven shall it come down upon thee until thou be destroyed. So brass, when they bound Samson, you know they bound Samson in fetters of brass. So brass was speaking of the judgment. To the people of Israel. So brass is a judgment. You know, when you read the book of Deuteronomy, and I put this in perspective, you have to read this whole chapter. God told, told the Israelites, if you keep my word, I'm going to bless your coming in you your going out. Everything about you is going to prosper. Everything's going to be blessed. Your home, your gardens, your children, your cows. Your, if you got cows, they're going to be blessed. That's what he told them. But if you don't keep my word, here's what's going to befall you. It's going to be like brass. The heaven's going to be as brass. The the ground's going to be as iron. Nothing's going to come forth but dust. That's the word of the Lord to the Israelites. If they didn't keep His word, that that was what they were destined in the Old Testament so, 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 what, what does that have to do with me? Jesus became the judgment to sin. See, what, why was all this upon the Israelites? What was the issue? The issue wasn't keeping the word of the Lord. What was Adam's issue? If you go all the way back in the garden, what happened to Adam? He didn't keep the word of the Lord. If he kept the Word of the Lord, you you know, he had harmony, right? He had it good. I mean, God was taking care of everything. And He told Adam, He said, Hey, Adam, if you eat of that tree, you're going to die. And see, God places a Word in Israel. Do you notice this? You, you, you travel so many years forward into the future and God's put another word, another group of commandments into Israel and He tells them if you keep these commandments, these precepts, this law, you're going to be filled with joy. But if you don't, I'm going to curse you. So, so all of this was speaking toward the person of Jesus Christ Because Jesus, because what what the law does is it shows in in the book of Romans, it shows every mouth had to be stopped, every man was guilty, that there was none righteous, no, not one. Not just the Jew wasn't righteous, the Gentile wasn't righteous, no man was righteous, none was right with God. All were cursed. (laughs) That's what it shows Every man, big, small, great, little, doesn't matter. He's cursed. So every man's in the same condition. There is none righteous, no, not one. So so Jesus says in John 3, go, go to John 3. He says here something very powerful. John 3, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth may in him have eternal life. Now what's the significance to the serpent in the wilderness? Do you know what it was made out of? Does anybody in here know? made of brass. Imagine that? That's made of brass, the serpent in the wilderness when and what what had happened there, if you flip back to Numbers, you can go back there and look at this. In the book of Numbers, Israel starts moaning and complaining. We we ever moan or complain? None of us moan or complain any, do we? Well, they started moaning and complaining with the Lord. And so the Lord sent serpents among them, the Bible says. And God, uh, Numbers 21, Numbers 21, so they had left Egypt, and they're traveling along toward the, you know, wandering in the wilderness. And it says they traveled from Mount Hor, verse 4, along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. (laughs) They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread. There's no water. And we detest this miserable food. (laughs) We don't like this manna. Then the Lord... Sent. This this flies in a lot of people's doctrines. Then the Lord sent. Venomous snakes among them. They bit the people. Many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. And see, that serpent's bite goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You know that? That that serpent's word, the word of the serpent... That woman, you know when you eat this, you're not going to really die. You're going to be as God and know good and evil, right? Because all the way back into the garden, so this bite comes upon the people and it died. And the people died. They literally died here in the garden. They died in sin. We find that out in the book of Romans that through one man's disobedience, all were made dead. And the solution for these people dying here. Was it found in verse uh, you, you know verse eight, the people start turning their heart back to the Lord, and they said, they tell Moses, pray to the Lord, verse 7, pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake or a serpent and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake. He didn't just make a snake of wood. He made a bronze snake and put it on the pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. So they had to turn their eyes from themselves, from their condition. And they had to look up upon the pole and see the snake. And what that snake was speaking of was Jesus' judgment toward sin. That's what it was speaking of because He judged sin. He didn't just judge the sinner. He judged sin and He condemned sin to death. Now that's a mouthful. Okay, so you have to start unpacking that because all mankind was in sin and in the penalty of sin. And you know what the penalty of sin is. Does anybody here know what the penalty of sin The wages of sin, the penalty, the wages, what you got out of sin was what? Death. So all mankind became dead. Up until Adam eating, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I didn't know what death was, I don't guess. But now death had come and death began to manifest in them. And of course, in that, in that age, that period of time, man still lived a long time. If you go read about Brother Adam, I think he lived, what, 900 and some years. Pretty good lifespan, wasn't it? And Sister Shirley said, I hope he had better bones. But it was a pretty good lifespan going on with Adam. So there but nonetheless death came out of it. And that's the condition we see in the natural world today, is the death that came through sin and disobedience to God. And we see that. We see it. You know, people sometimes look at people and say, why is there, there cancer? Why is there this? It came out of sin. It came out of disobedience to God. It came forth into the earth. It's in the natural man. Glory to God. But Jesus said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So all that was in the curse, I've overcome it. Everything that, that was there that had been placed upon man, Jesus is saying, I've overcome it. I, I Be a good cheer. And see, see, this is the thing that Christians, a lot of times they don't see. They don't hear. He said, I am your life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. These natural bodies aren't your life. You live in these bodies. You have these bodies. But they're not your life. He says, I am, what? The life. The way, the truth, and the life. He that believeth in me shall not, what? Perish, but have everlasting life. And the everlasting life is him. He is the life. And we we begin to know life as we know Him. And that's what He says in one place. He says, this is life eternal that you might know the only true God. That life eternal is knowing God and Jesus Christ whom He sent. So if I don't know Him, I don't know eternal life. Because eternal life is Him. He is life. Glory to God. And I come to know life and see See, He took the judgment of sin upon Himself. He took the penalty of sin. He took its... It's appointed unto man once to die, the writer writes in Hebrews, and after that, the judgment. And for many years, I would preach that like somebody was going to die, or I heard that. I, I don't know how many years I preached that. I preached it for a period of time myself. But I would, But I would preach it in that period of time like one day you're going to die... And then you're going to get judged. And after this, the judge. But I didn't read the next verse. Flip over to Hebrews 9. Because there's more than... It's, it's so often we read one verse and we don't read the next verse. And and it's real easy to preach that because the Word of God says it. And I can say, yeah, it absolutely says that. I absolutely believe it says that. I agree. I'm, I'm quoting to you the Word of God. And here's the answer to it. Verse 27, Hebrews nine twenty-seven says, It's appointed unto man, and inasmuch as it is appointed unto men once to die. I'll get into King James. Most people read other King James, so I'll read it there. It doesn't matter. And as it's appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. And now I can can talk to your physical death and say, it's appointed to you once to die, then you're going to get judged. So Christ, read the the next verse. Mm -hmm. So Christ was once offered to bear. Here's why it was appointed to men to die, because of sin. Adam, in the day you eat thereof, you shall die. And so it was appointed to man to die. And after that, the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. So He was offered to bear your sins. So He took your judgment of death. So your judgment to die was in Christ. See, Brother John writes in the book of 1 John, he says we have passed from death unto life. Now, now this won't make any sense. So you know, these, these two scriptures would contradict each other if I don't understand them. Because one saying, when I die physically, I'm going to get judged if I interpret it right. Then Brother John breaks out this, well, you have passed from death unto life. Because all of this is in the person of Jesus Christ. See, because He became my judgment, He took my judgment, He bore my sin, and He paid my penalty. Glory to God. So He was like that sacrifice that they would lay their hands upon and confess their sins over. And so we, in like manner, lay our hands upon Him and confess our sins and He takes her penalty and her judgment of death and dies. And so those that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin, Unto salvation. Now the question is, are you saved now? If you're not saved now, then He may not yet have appeared to you to salvation. See, because this Scripture gets interpreted like He's going to appear out there somewhere in the future the second time without sin and the salvation. But do you have salvation now? Who appeared in your heart? Did someone appear in your heart and when you received him, did you say, Jesus came into my heart? Did you not? Did he not come unto salvation? He come and showed you that the old sin had been rolled away. Anyone that has been born again, what do they confess? My sins have been rolled away. Why? Because they counter Him. Because that's the work He did. He rolled your sins away. That's the basic foundational work of the Gospel. That Jesus rolled my sins away. When when someone confesses the name of the Lord Jesus and believes that God hath raised Him from the dead, and they have that initial encounter with Him, they say, My sins have rolled away. Do they not? And... What, on the whole, what happens? Their conscience is free. Anybody ever felt their whole conscience become free with God? Have you? Yeah. When you receive Jesus, that's what happens. My sins are forgiven and my conscience is free. But then you walk around and you get preached back into Condemnation. condemnation. Because... Then you don't understand what he's done. Instead of, instead of me teaching you what he's done, if I'm not careful, I'll teach you what I think you should do. And there's a big difference. Because if I learn what he's done, I am free from sin. I'm free from its penalty. I can get free from its action in him. I believe that now. Some people say, "Well, you're never going to get free from it as long as you're in this body," and I would disagree with it because the power of Christ is in me. Not because I'm a super saint, not because I'm special. I'm telling you, it's because of Him. I'm preaching Him. I'm preaching Jesus. I'm preaching Jesus as the victory over sin. I'm preaching Him as triumphant over sin. And He's triumphant over it in me. And if I do sin, John writes, I have an advocate with the Father who is Christ Jesus the righteous. That if I do fall, if I do get into bad acts, into whatever level of sin, I have an advocate with God. Jesus Christ my Lord. He's my advocate. See, my advocate's not me. See, I never turn back to me. I'm always, for the rest of my living days in the earth, am I turning to the, so to speak, the serpent on the pole, who 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 they turned upon when they were bitten by the serpent and they lived. Why? Why? Flip to Hebrews two. I wish I had another hour. Hebrews two. So this will have to be Part 1, I'll have to pay attention real close. Verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also likewise took part of the same. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Everybody repeat this with me. That he might. Destroy him him. that had the power of death. Had. Had. What's had mean? No longer has it because Jesus rose from the dead. And what did Jesus say? All power and authority is given to who? To me. Right? So he had the power of death. And who had the power of death? That is the devil. The devil had it. But Jesus took all power and all authority. He disannulled this word destroy. I'm not telling you that there's no devil. This word destroy means, what does it mean? It means to render to be entirely idle useless. So he rendered his power useless. He made him powerless over you. That's what he did. The devil was powerless over you through the work of the cross. That's why I'll preach Jesus instead of myself because it's through his work that he's powerless. Not through my own work. It's through his work. So he's powerless over over the believer through the work of Christ and it goes on to say then, and deliver them who all their lifetime, who, who through fear of death were all of their lifetime subject to bondage. So He delivered us who all of our lifetime were subject to bondage. He delivered us from that. How many feel delivered from that? you feel delivered? Says He delivered you. Do you feel delivered? What, what does this mean? This means that the subjectness of death that's in the Adam man, the natural man, the the natural flesh, has no power over you. It means that if someone passes from the natural, they did not die. Jesus said, He that believeth on me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And the power of that life is he is that life. And he said, I am he that liveth and was dead. I bore your death. I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. He is your life. So, as John wrote, we have passed from death in Adam all die, Paul writes. In Christ shall all be made alive. Now all of this, you, you know, this brazen altar back there in the Old Testament was speaking of this. And that's why his feet burned his brass because he's the judgment of death to death. He judged the death in Adam and he put it away. And triumph over it, raised over it, raised from the dead. And He is your triumph over death. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, you know what, oh, grave, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus triumphed over death. So the fear of death can be taken out of our hearts through Him, through relationship with Him. Yes, it can. I'm fully persuaded of that. That His life is my life. And see, Apostle Paul gets a hold of some of this, and he gets hold of it a whole lot more than I have. And he writes the book of Colossians. And and, and flip over to Colossians three. Colossians three, and then we're gonna flip back to Romans and I'll try to wind up right at six right around sixty minutes. But Colossians three says Verse three You are dead. Now how did I get dead? I'm walking around here breathing. Right? Paul says you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then at His appearing shall you appear with Him in glory. When He appears, you appear with Him in glory, in His presence. How many would believe glory is the presence of the Lord? Can we agree with that? So we appear with Him in His presence, in His glory, when He appears. In another place in Colossians, Paul writes that Christ in you is the hope of glory. So if Paul tells you in another place in Colossians that Christ is in you, and then here he's telling you Christ is going to appear, just a question, would it make a sense that He might appear in you? If He's in you, because Paul says in Colossians, I believe, chapter 1, Christ in you is the hope of glory. And then he writes, you know, in the same book, if I read it as a a letter, he writes in the same letter, he says, you're dead, and when Christ who is your life shall appear, you shall appear with Him in glory. They say, you're going to glory land. he said, you're going to appear in glory. And the glory you appear in, you begin to see He's your life. And man, when I begin to see that, that's glory. Unspeakable and full of joy because I begin to see and realize that God has become my life. My life isn't bound up with this flesh anymore. My life is Him. Now, I have this flesh. I live in this flesh. But He's my life. And my life's not this. Does not mean you abuse it? Does it mean you take your flesh out and you do whatever you want to with it? No, He tells you to mortify because you realize this. He says, mortify therefore your, your, your members which are upon the earth. In other words, you realize your life ain't your members, so mortify them. Put them to death. Don't give in to them. Don't give them place. So I'll, I'll tell you what, the Lord can deal with you to read. And your body, and you start reading the Bible and you'll get sleepy. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but all at once you'll start yawning and you'll get tired because your body, it doesn't even want to get drugged there, does it? But mortified. Agree with God. Agree with Him. Flip over to Romans. Man, I tell you, I feel good. You're dead. Your life is here with Christ and God. How'd I get dead? Romans 6. Paul writes in Romans 6.1, says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid." How shall we that are dead? We that are what? Dead to sin. You're what to sin? you believe that? Paul said that. Apostle Paul may have messed up. you reckon? No. Nope. He didn't mess up. He says, How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? See, the penalty of sin is no longer over you. Because Jesus took it away. Jesus ransomed you. Has anybody ever read that? He ransomed you. He was the redemption. He was the ransom. He ransomed you from the penalty of sin. Glory to God. Know you not... See, he goes on here. Paul goes on and says, Don't you know that so many of us as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death. That's why in baptism, even in natural water baptism, we bury somebody down in the water. It's it's speaking of what Christ did, that He died, and not only did He die, He was buried. He was put away. So when someone receives Him, why we baptize them in water is we bury them in a watery grave that's symbolic of what He's done, and He buried us with Him to the old man. And glory to God, that old man doesn't come out. Therefore, say therefore, therefore because of Him, because we're baptized into Him, into the power of Him, not my own power, but the power of Him, we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. He's talking about right now. He's not talking about someday. Right now I should walk in the newness of this life that is in me. Glory to God. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. so all its penalties against you, He freed you from. So all its curses, He frees you from it. That's what He did. He bore it. He became it. He that knew no sin became sin that we could be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I'm telling you, that's good news. That's why they call it the gospel, the good news. He took the penalty and He took me into death. Because if he didn't take me into death, I I would still be wanting See, I'd just be a man with my sins forgiven. That's why I had to be a new man. See, if I didn't die, I'd just be an old man with my sins forgiven. And we'll have to pick this up next time because i probably have another hour on being married to another. If you go from Romans 6 to Romans 7, he talks about you being dead to Adam that you could be married to another. And Esther's all the way back in the garden when God speaks to Eve and says that she's going to be subjected unto her husband. He's not just looking at this in the natural sense. He's looking at this as the bride of Christ as the woman in the spiritual sense being subjected to its head. Thy head, which is Christ, who hath destroyed the death who has destroyed sin, who has overcome the world. That's what He's looking at. My God, He's seeing that all the way from the beginning of what's going to be done in Christ. What Jesus said, search the Scripture. It speaks of Me. It's declaring Me. It's saying what I am doing. And now what He's done. And see, even though He did this What, 2,000 years ago? It's alive right now because the Holy Spirit is ministering the love of God in our hearts. God has shed forth His love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. What's the love of God? God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And he's ministering his death to us, his burial to us, and his resurrection to us. Glory to God. Well, verse 11, and I'm going to stop. I'll read 10, 11, knowing that even since we're here for, in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon. What does reckon mean? That's a big word to you and I. Likewise, reckon. Reckon. I'm going to look it up. Take an inventory, that is estimate, conclude. So he's saying come to a conclusion. Inventory this thing. If I take an inventory of something, that means in the natural. I've been in natural years ago in tool rooms. And Brother Wayne, you've probably been around some of that, haven't you, where they got all their tools and their oils or lubricants or whatever, and you got this room, you gotta take a lub- uh, inventory of it, right? It's a lot of work, isn't it? And it's a pain. I went into tool rooms and started crossing over parts so I could sell it. Take the business away from somebody else and put the money in my pocket, right? So so take an inventory. Listen that inventory of this thing. If I'm going to take an inventory of it, then I'm going to search it out. I'm going to look at it. I'm going to give my time to it. So take an inventory of it. Reckon ye yourselves to be dead. And how I reckon myself to be dead is I inventory or conclude what Jesus did. I take an inventory of it. I look at His death. I understand what His death says. Reckon yourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, the whole thing is through Him. I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to the old man through Him. And I'm living to God through Him. So if I want to understand being dead to sin, I have to understand His death. If I want to understand being alive to God, I have to understand his life. So the whole thing concludes in the end. So he is the author and the finisher of our faith. So it starts with him and it concludes with him. Well, bless the Lord. I'm under 60 minutes.